I'm Nikki Gattenby and welcome to Becoming Menopoised. We love it when a woman on a mission makes such an impact and our inspirational female founder today who is doing exactly that is the wonder that is Rebecca Brown, founder and chief guinea pig of Empowder, which literally exploded onto our shelves this year and is going from strength to strength. Ex-creative agency planner Rebecca is blazing a trail in the world of menopause, having been compelled to make a difference after her own experience of being turned away by her GP because she was too young to have symptoms of menopause. I know there are so many women out there who can relate to this exact experience. I'll let Rebecca share her full story. What she's done and what she's doing is game changing. So Rebecca, welcome. So lovely to have you on the musings. Oh, thank you. And thank you for that intro as well. I feel I feel horribly inadequate and very humble from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say for so many people, you've made 2020 a year to remember and for the most wonderful reasons. So let's hear your story. What's what's your menopause story? Well, um, I mean, as you probably read, because I've I've I'm been very, very open and honest about it, the the sort of origins of M Powder uh, were sort of initially quite selfish in that I, I got very sick myself. I was working full time as a creative planner, running my own agency. And I began to basically sort of stop feeling like I was capable of doing a job that I'd done for over 20 years. And that really was the beginning of um, perimenopause for me. But at the time, I had no idea that that actually existed as a as a life stage or a, or a term. Yes, it's um, a word we don't hear very often, isn't it? it? No, and I think you know, I think you know, I think one of the positive things um, about the last couple of years actually is that the the, the world does seem to be waking up to um, this life stage that after all 51% of the population goes through. Um, yes. And <laughs> I think a lot of that's possibly to do with the fact that we are seeing women uh, in more leadership roles with we're staying in employment longer. And, you know, one in three editors in the UK now uh, across the national papers is, is female and probably heading into their menopause transition too. So I think it's, it's be, it was interesting. I, I went into the perimenopause just before that wave of awareness um, started and I struggled on. You know, I was convinced that, you know, the reason I was not very good at my job in my eyes was because I wasn't working hard enough. And so I did what a lot of women do. <laughs> I just worked harder and harder and the anxiety increased. You know, it was, it was um, coupled with sleeplessness. I started to see physical changes um, to my appearance as well. I, I developed um, a very attractive outbreak of teenage acne. Um, oh, lovely. Yes, which is really unfair because <laughs> I had had acne as a teenager as well. And it's like, really? Um, and it, But it was the anxiety and this kind of sense that I was no longer myself. You know, I was weeping um, over silly things. I was, I was, you know, just getting incredibly caught up in all kinds of minutiae that normally wouldn't have even hit the sides. And I was really genuinely quite worried about myself. I thought there's either something very wrong with me mentally, you know, maybe I'm burning out, maybe I need to be on antidepressants, or there's something happening to me physically because I was I was exhausted and, and the sleeplessness obviously was was part of it, but it's just like my whole body ached all the time. So um, I ended up in my doctor's surgery, like 75% of women in the UK, um, I kind of headed in there hoping that they would give me um, some form of diagnosis. And like 75% of women who, who end up in the doctor's surgery, I was told that I was uh, too young to be in the menopause and that probably it was more likely to be work-related and, and sort of lifestyle-related. So I was um, sent to try sort of look at the uh, health food aisle um, in my local health food store and look to supplementation um, and I was advised to take some time away from work and I think I probably would have done that but I'm a 
planner by trade. And so there was an element of curiosity and a desire to kind of find out um, in a more satisfactory fashion what might be happening. And that's when I started wiki Googling, which isn't necessarily the best way to um, <laughs> discover <laughs> where you are terrifying. in life. Yes. Yeah. Um, but increasingly, sort of like, look, I, I kind of, I think I knew in my heart of hearts that it was something more fundamental and being reassured, I suppose, in a sense from the doctor that there was nothing, you know, in terms of some undiscovered disease taking place. I, I kind of, I felt like I needed to look into it in a bit more detail. So I, you know, I chanced upon um, some information about the menopause transition and almost um, came to my own conclusions around it and started looking further into what perimenopause was. You know, obviously, when you look online, there's a there's a huge list of symptoms that can be attributed to this life stage. <laughs> and that's really, you know, when I started delving into, you know, what does happen to our bodies biochemically and what can I do as an individual to start to feel better. Um, I didn't want to go on to antidepressants, which seemed to be the only thing that was on offer to me at the time. And I also wasn't convinced by um, a lot of the products that I sh saw in the uh, health food aisle. It felt uh, almost like a, a, a sector or a, a, a life stage that had been forgotten. And it was a very odd feeling, actually, as a woman, you know, sort of 45, 46, standing in front of the products on offer there, because it felt like, a, I often describe it as an end of life aisle. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, all of the designs uh, in terms of sort of the way that they were communicating menopause felt like they were designed for women in their late 50s, early 60s. There wasn't really anything on the shelf that, that specifically spoke to perimenopause. And I understood enough uh, from my research to know that there were some distinct biochemical phases our body goes through and you can't lump it into this sort of amorphous mass that is menopause. And so I started doing what I guess I instinctively do because of my sort of training as a, as a researcher and planner, I just started researching it. And the more I looked into it, the more I realised that there was a growing body of evidence around the efficacy of effectively food, you know, plant-based ingredients, uh, vitamins and minerals. And that if you look to the clinical trials and, and you look to try and replicate the dosages, which is often what doesn't happen, unfortunately, in the supplement space, um, you could really fuel your body and act preemptively. And, you know, perimenopause, which is often the longest stage of the menopause transition for women, can last, you know, up to eight years. And what we put into our bodies and the way that we sort of adapt our lifestyle and perhaps the tools to support ourselves at this stage in life are absolutely critical in ensuring that that kind of transition into midlife and beyond is a healthy one. And as I started to feel better by sort of loading my plate up with different things and by practicing different forms of exercise, by looking into other, other um, support that I could give myself, I began to think about how long it had taken me to get there and what I could do with that information. And that's really where Empowder came from. It was that desire, I guess, to share what I'd learned. And there's also an, an element, um, which I'm sure you guys feel to a certain extent at menopause as well, where I felt a little bit outraged that this life stage had not been sort of communicated to me before I hit it like a, like a you know, a car driving into a brick wall. And I really felt there was an urgent need to reframe how people viewed menopause um, and also to give people the honest truth because um, the other issue I had with so many of the supplements on offer was the fact that they they tend to overpromise, you know, so you tend to be in a situation where you cycle through pretty much anything that is on that shelf and I hope that you're going to feel better. But we know that supplementation on its own isn't a silver bullet. And so what I wanted to do was create the best 
recipes um, made from from whole foods and plant-based ingredients to nourish women. But I also wanted to provide the structure around that product offering that would allow women to explore everything from acupuncture to other products we 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 trust and believe in to you know exercise techniques that allow you to move with your hormone cycle um, and all of those things in one place wrapped together so that uh, women felt that they were informed with the knowledge they need to to kind of own own their own story and own their own um, transition. And what I love, Rebecca, is it's come from outrage, which is exactly what Joe and I joke, joke about all the time. It's like, oh, you don't want to upset a perimenopausal woman. You never exactly. know what might happen. Well, I mean, I, I do genuinely believe that, you know, once hardest midlife is a is a superpower um because <laughs> you know i mean yes it's the the outrage um at the fact that you know the female body just isn't well enough research you know we know sort of about two percent of of the investment into uh research goes into the female body as opposed to the male and menopause particularly is is woefully under explored and, and we still don't really know why women go through menopause so you know when you look at that and you look at the 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 um, impact it can have um, and how long it can last you know again as, as I was saying earlier the perimenopause is, is, a, is a long time but if you look at the whole transition it is about eight to ten years and you know you think about how much we know about the trimesters of pregnancy and really we should be we should be focused on having that same level of insight the same support. time of attention on yeah, here absolutely yes, because indeed. it's you know instead of eight to ten months it's it's eight to ten years and there's a, an incredible book um invisible women mm. which talks about the fact that the world is very much oriented towards men and you know that's because of the, how history is formed and things like crash test dummies mm. it's actually safer for a man to get into a mm. car than a woman because the crash testing is based on men and it's it's just it, we need a bit more balance around the whole thing which is so wonderful why so many of us are now talking about it yeah. well i didn't know that stat about one in three editors in national newspapers is now female which is great. Obviously, that is where more of the conversation can come yes. from, which is fantastic. Yeah. So there was clearly a lot that was unexpected and it, <laughs> it drove you to create something so new and so brilliant. Um, what kind of conversations were you having with your friends and family at the time, Rebecca? Were you sharing what was going on? I, I was. And I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting, actually, at Empowered, we're, we're running a, a, a fireside event next week looking at inherited narratives around menopause. And I'm sure, again, it's something that you and your community have, have discussed as well. But for, for me, um, in terms of the conversations that, that I was having, I, I felt a little bit bereft, you know, unlike pregnancy, where there is an opportunity to share and talk, there, there remains such a stigma around menopause, I definitely didn't feel able to have that conversation within the workplace with my peers or my clients, for example. I did have a very brief conversation with my mother and we, we kind of joke about it now uh, because I think, you know, again, <laughs> perhaps this is like uh, pregnancy and childbirth, but, you know, at the time she's like, I think I just sailed through it. You know, I think I was fine. I think we just, you know, <laughs> I think we just sort of, you know, gritted our teeth and, and got on with it. Yes. You know, and obviously the world was a very different place uh, at the point that she transitioned through. But what was interesting is I, as I started researching the um, the impact of menopause, particularly the mental impact um, of menopause, which isn't talked about enough. You know, we, we too often sort of end up focusing on the sort of physical symptoms and not the mental implications that hormone changes have as well. And uh, when I started looking at that and I started looking back at my teenage years and, and my mother's life at that time you know what was quite clear was it was the point that she actually left her job due to stress and she she pivoted and found her purpose in in later life and and, and ended up in a much more fulfilling role but it was a two or three year period of real distress for her a real sort of questioning of self and identity and and it probably was her menopause but you know as a teenager I wasn't aware of that and as a woman in the 1980s she she wasn't aware that that was happening 
happening either. Um, so that was a really interesting. I do feel there's a slightly cruel twist of nature there where the, the mum can be going through perimenopause, menopause, and then you've got children who are very hormonal mm. at the same time. And it's just this mix of hormones that's possibly not very um, enjoyable at moments. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, it can make for quite a sort of, yes, a um, um, quite a fiery household. But um, <laughs> yeah. um, I think the other thing which is interesting, you know, sort of thinking about narratives is, you know, to your point, we, we, we do often inherit um, the way that we're supposed to respond to certain life stages as women, you know, whether that's about sort of, you know, claiming that your child is sleeping through the night when quite obviously it isn't, or, you know, when, when you, you, don't, you don't sort of pass on to your pregnant friend the reality of those first six to 12 months. Um, and I think menopause is a very similar thing. We've been taught almost to suppress it um, as women and not have those conversations. But what excites me about where we are now is aside from the sort of growing conversation around menopause, there's a growing conversation generally about the menstrual cycle and the transitions that women go through. And I kind of hope that if I was looking into a household now, you know, that teenage girls are learning that, again, that their periods are something to be embraced and worked with rather than resisted and endured. Um, and I think um, that means that the whole hormone cycle that a female goes through needs reframing, really. And um, again, sort of back to that idea of superpower, you know, once you can harness it and recognise what those hormone fluctuations can do in terms of your creativity, your drive, your energy levels, you know, it's a really important empowering thing um but for, for I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that our generation is the last one to kind of realize it's so late <laughs> the reason for our becoming menopause podcast is to provoke conversation and bust the taboos around menopause we're on a mission to change the lives of women the world over to have a positive menopause naturally and we're getting such wonderful feedback here's what ruth has to say about our menopause menopause magnet I love the menopause magnet. I'm feeling better, my sleep has improved, I'm not waking up having a hot flush all the time. Also since using the magnet I'm less aware during the day when I'm working of feeling anxious. The hot flushes were actually bringing on a mild anxiety feeling which was really affecting me at work and that isn't happening now which is amazing. I love the magnet. Wow, this is exactly why we do it and we'd love to help as many women as possible. So please do share this podcast to help others on their journey to be Coming menopoused. Yes, yes, indeed. And my entire family now speak about the menopause all the time. Yeah. It's, 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 it's become so normalised yeah. in our household. And it's lovely when the friends come round and it's just, it's just a normal point of conversation. It's not something that needs to be hidden because you're right, there's a, a level of denial, particularly at work. And when we start feeling changes happen, it's a bit like, oh, no, don't say anything because it's, it's something that we shouldn't be talking about which actually makes it all a bit worse. Yes, totally, totally. No, I, I totally agree. So um, apart from blazing a trail and creating a whole new way of talking about menopause and, and the supplements, what makes you feel more poised yourself while being in perimenopause? Well, I've, I've been incredibly lucky in that I think by virtue of, of going out into the world and, and looking to learn about the experiences of other women, you know, Empowered was really built on talking to um, women going through the same life stage as me um, and, and kind of gathering all of that insight and all of that wisdom um, in order to understand what was missing um, and what support was most valuable to them. So I almost got an inside uh, sort of a bit of a sneak peek as to, to what can work best. And I think that has had a huge impact on the way that I've looked to rethink the way that I live fundamentally. So, you know, of course, nutrition is incredibly important. So in terms of me feeling sort of poised and in control, I have rethought the way that I eat. If I look back, you know, a couple of years ago, it's, it's not it's not that hard, actually. I think that's the other thing that I have found <laughs> um, is that, you know, it is about understanding 
um, what nourishes you. And it's, it's, it's also understanding that you can kind of push yourself up the self-care list and uh, rather than worrying about everyone else you can kind of you can kind of put yourself there as well because to fuel yourself you know enables you to give to others and I think I've learned you know in terms of the things that I do differently I eat a lot more plant-based um, food so my plate you know what's on my plate is very different I meditate and as a sort of um, incredibly impatient woman um, I had to learn <laughs> with you I'm with you on that one yes <laughs> I basically my main challenge with meditation was uh, learning that it's not a competitive sport um, and um, you don't have to win it meditation you can just sit on the shower floor and and spend 10 minutes and if actually in that 10 minutes you don't even hear what the app is saying to you that's kind of okay as well and so I kind of persisted with it because um, so many women in our community talked about how valuable it was in terms of calming the mind and and sort of setting you up for the day really in terms of resilience I found that that kind of repetition in itself has led me to feel more in control that's a be- that's a beautiful reframe thank you because <laughs> I struggle with meditation but that's just changed it for me it's not a competitive sport it's that not- is absolutely brilliant Rebecca thank you <laughs> <laughs> and I mean to, to menopause offering as well I found um, acupuncture particularly helpful uh, and again there's a lot of evidence obviously around um, its efficacy particularly with some of the um, symptoms like hot flashes um, but that general sort of hormone balance um, that occurs when you undertake um, an acupuncture program and again I think it is about consistency you know I, I really committed to it as a, as a bit of a skeptic I committed to doing it for six months uh, and that was transformational in terms of my health and just feeling again just feeling well again um, and then the final tip I guess in terms of feeling poised is cold water therapy so it's not that oh no you have to be brave with this one don't you well I think that's the other thing you know obviously you're, we must be very similar in our um, our attitudes to competing Nikki but the other thing uh, about cold water therapy is it's not a competitive sport <laughs> so um, you can do two minutes of of it and have uh, a real impact on the way that your body responds to stress receptors. So that was the other thing that I had to learn. It, it isn't that you have to sort of plunge yourself into the North Sea for 20 minutes every day. You can literally do the okie with your limbs in the shower, uh, or you can start by having an, a sort of an ice bucket and just putting your hand in and learning um, how your body responds. But it's that kind of exposure to extremes and the way that you learn to control it and the way that your body then learns that you are in control that can really help with some of the more emotional um, reactions perhaps that we have when we're going through the menopause. So th- that's something. And that's that's lovely. You've just made it so accessible because Jo does don her wetsuit <laughs> and she gets in the sea in Brighton. Yes, that's hard. And I'm certain, no, yeah. absolutely no way. I can just change the temperature no. in the shower. That's a lot easier, isn't it? <laughs> you can, you can just change the temperature in the shower. And I think the only other thing I would say is, um, you, you know, as long as you sort of prepare... The, the rule of thumb with cold water therapy is that your your preparation and your recovery should be as long as your time in that exposure. Um, so say you have a normal shower, um, so have your hot shower, shampoo, do, do all of your normal stuff and then get out, do some breathing exercises to warm up your core uh, for two minutes, get into the cold shower, stay in it for two minutes. You can do the okie okay, you don't have to do full immersion um, and then come out and for two minutes continue to keep your body um, warm by doing the breathing exercises and then towel off. So that's kind of the Wim Hof method for how you manage it. And I think that that does make, like you say, it makes it really accessible. And so many women in our community find um, real benefit from from doing it. And then I think what happens is it slowly becomes addictive and then you'll probably find yourself getting a wetsuit. 
<laughs> okay, that'll be the day. <laughs> I'm going to try it. Brilliant. So there's so much knowledge and wisdom there, Rebecca. Thank you. What's the one nugget of wisdom that you would give to anybody who suddenly finds himself in this, this changing state? I think the one nugget I would give is the one that I didn't take. So um, reflection is always very positive, isn't it? Um, in that I should have gone back to the doctor. So I think I think the the we almost have well we have the right to go back when we're not satisfied with um, a diagnosis, but we also almost have an obligation. I think the fascinating thing is that women don't pop back into the surgery, understandably, to tell doctors what works. And so when women present themselves and the doctor is able to, you know, assess and, and come to the conclusion that, that it's the menopause that this, this individual is going through, they have very little in their sort of, you know, armory in terms of what they can they can guide us on because we don't, we don't tell them. Because um, at the moment, you know, it, it's a very negative experience for, um, for women and um, understandably we don't pop back in. So... I think I should have gone back. I should have gone back and said, I don't think that I'm burnt out from work. I think there's something going on biochemically. I think I'm in the perimenopause, you know, and that would have probably provided me with greater reassurance and perhaps a shortcut to some of the things I then discovered. I think it would also provide the doctors with greater awareness of the variety of menopause journeys and, and help them understand the fact that it happens a lot, lot earlier than perhaps uh, many of them are aware of. And we know from, from sort of research undertaken um, across the Western world that doctors are really uncomfortable talking about menopause because they're not well trained in it and they know they're not well trained in it so and that's the general practitioner isn't it they've got so much to yeah, cover exactly I think it's like three or four hours that doctors have yeah. in terms of menopause training if they elect to take it yeah and I think it's it's important for us to go back and and um have that conversation to and to be heard as women but I also think it's worth knowing what medically is available to you HRT you know has, has been woefully misrepresented uh in in the media um and by researchers alike actually who keep publishing uh inaccurate reports and I didn't choose to go on HRT when I identified uh, the life stage I was in. I chose to uh, manage my symptoms um, naturally and I was also able to and I think that's a really important distinction because some people's journeys are much tougher than mine turned out to be um, and, and it can be really, really helpful. Um, so also going back into the doctors means that you can have that honest conversation and you can hopefully, with the doctor that has enough knowledge, ensure that you understand you know, what, what HRT offers and then you can make an informed choice as to whether that's something you'd want to pursue. As you know, that's brilliant because it's people listening to this will just have more confidence to go back in and, and say, actually, I'd like to talk about this more because you're right. We probably just think, oh, I, I haven't got what I need. I need to go find it somewhere else. But going back and having the conversation is so, so important. That's a brilliant piece of advice. And I mean, talking of outrage, one of the things that makes me really cross is it usually takes women three to four years to realise that they're in perimenopause or to be given that as a, as a sort of diagnosis um, of a natural life stage by the doctor. And that, you know, three or four years of feeling awful is a very very long time <laughs> not acceptable no. yes we can see why there is outrage <laughs> and on that note um what would you say to anyone who's supporting someone going through perimenopause well i mean it's a really it's a really interesting question because i think because of the stigma and the discomfort um talking about this this uh life stage people um who are aware that their partner or their friend or colleague is transitioning often don't know what to do or what to say and i think the thing to remember is that it is a natural stage of life and it's it's something that should be um much more sort of commonly accepted within 
um, society as as something that should be talked about. Um, and and um, I think the best thing you can do is to to invite that opening up of the conversation. Um, so don't you know? It's a bit like I think as as humans we we do struggle with the difficult conversations, don't we? But we also know fundamentally how much broaching them means to people. So, you know, sometimes I think about menopause in terms of grief, because um, for some women, it is a grieving process. You know, it's an end of something and a, and a, a beginning of something new. Uh, and ultimately, I, I, I strongly believe and advocate for the fact that it's a positive uh, stage that we head into. But, you know, we lose our fertility, we lose... Um, skin elasticity we lose <laughs> the ability to do certain things we, we gain a lot as well but there is a grief and a, and a transition for period for for many women and I think sometimes when you look at the way that the advice that exists out there about supporting people going through grief it, it's uh, it's not a bad place to start you know if you want to open up the conversation it's just asking people about how they feel that that day and perhaps looking to find a common thread that you can also um, use to make that conversation start uh, without it feeling um, uncomfortable for, for the person you're talking to. Once again, Rebecca, you've made that conversation instantly accessible because you're right, there's so much out there mm. about grief mm. and how we can support each other. So a wonderful place to start and to help someone to get to that new beginning and, as you say, step into the superpower, which <laughs> is actually quite a lovely journey to go on once you yes. get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've shared so much insight. Do you have a, a mantra or a story or an, an anecdote that you live by? Well... Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a really interesting question as well. I mean, I, I think I have two two things that I found really helpful. One one is a is a a fact that we often forget, and one is a mantra that I was actually given when I was nineteen, um, but um, as as a teenager, obviously totally ignored it. Uh, but now <laughs> uh, now as an adult, uh, reflecting on life, I find it a really useful thing to remind myself of. But um, in terms of the, the the sort of the fact is that the menopause doesn't define us you know it's it's a life stage and when you're in it it can feel all consuming and and especially if you're feeling unsupported it can feel like that is all you are you know you're sort of a walking menopause example um but you're not <laughs> you still have an awful lot to give and when you look at midlife from a scientific perspective midlife and beyond in fact what we gain as we age uh, far outweighs what we lose. And um, in terms of wisdom, the empathy we bring to society, the value we bring to the workplace, the creativity that comes as our hormones start to change in our body uh, explains why so many women start businesses like, like you guys have, uh, and as I did, um, and we're more likely to be successful in this stage of life. So there's so much to sort of embrace and relish about midlife and I think sometimes when we're in the menopause we just it becomes the only thing that defines you and, and that that's that's not right so that's worth remembering and then the mantra is I can achieve all that is possible in a calm and peaceful manner and as I say I ignored that when I was 19 um, and I was at uni and stressing because it felt well I, I was too impatient to actually listen to it but what I like about it is this sort of like the circular nature of it as a phrase um, because it's absolutely true and it's true of all stages of life but I think in the menopause when you can feel overwhelmed it's a really useful thing to return to um, and remember. And as you said it, it, I just felt calm and peaceful. It, <laughs> it, the way you say it just makes it, it you clever. live it, it's lovely. Yes, it's very clever. <laughs> Rebecca, this is brilliant. If people want to find out more about you and um, Empowder, where can they get in touch? Well, we have um, a really vibrant Instagram community um, that I love, I love. Um, and uh, you can find that at, at Empowder Store, all one word. And then... 
it's worth checking out our website. Um, aside from the sort of product offering, we have a weekly big read and a series of events that are taking place every month. And so to find out more about the newsletter and, and those those um, events happening largely on Zoom, obviously at the moment, um, you can head to um, www.mpowder.store. Brilliant. Well, from outrage to vibrancy with some um, cold water therapy and the hokey cokey on the way, this has been such <laughs> a lovely conversation, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing everything. No, thank you for I having think, me. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this one. It's absolutely brilliant. Lovely. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for your time. So you know how to get in touch with Rebecca and find out more about Empowder. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you know where to find us at Menopoised. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode. And you know, when your menopause is too hot to handle, Menopoised helps you get your call back naturally. <laughs>